Man, it's so good. So good to see everybody. Hey, so I want to tell you a quick little story. Um, actually, we're going to be reading out of Luke chapter 9. So if you want to start working your way there, um, for those of you that are new here, uh, Luke is in the New Testament. And it is on page 984 of the Gideon Bible. We took a lot of time. That's what I'm talking about. Who wants it? Who wants this? Ian, you got it. Catch. That's what I'm talking about right there. Bet you didn't think I'd actually what get Gideon. 984. Um, we'll get to that in a second while you're turning there in your Gideon Bibles. God, I love it. Anyway, um, hey, so I wanted to tell you a story uh, that, that might shock you. When I was a kid, I was not cool. What? I know. I know. Don't everyone gasp at once. I love how the only response was sarcastic. Everyone's out like, you're not cool now. So, But yeah, I was totally not cool. And I desperately wanted to be in the cool kids club. You know what I'm saying? Like, especially when I was like 11, 12, 13. I desperately wanted to be in the cool kids club. And see, back in the Stone Age, in the mid-90s when I was coming of age... The Cool Kids Club consisted of this. Um, this right there. Okay, so like, I thought that I could get into the Cool Kids Club, right? If I like befriended somebody, you know, like made friends with one of the cool kids and like uh, maybe they would welcome me in, but it, that's not what happened. See, to be a part of the Cool Kids Club, you had to dress how they dress. Right? And the Jinko pants that I don't know why that was cool. Like, but it but that was really cool, right? Um, the really cool cool kids would would put those pants over their rollerblades and they look like they were just like floating around. I'm not kidding. And then like, you know, the hems would get caught in the wheel and they just eat it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. Right? But I could never afford those, right? And then another thing that was really cool was wallet chains. You know, those were awesome, super cool. They would double as a weapon if you get mugged in the suburbs, um, right? And, and you had to wear like Doc Martens, you know what I'm talking about? Like those are super comfy and super expensive. Couldn't afford those. Like my family was living off of like food donations from like food kitchens and pantries and stuff. So there was no way I was getting this stuff, you know? When I was 11, I was still wearing clothes that we bought at the garage sale. I wasn't like Jinkos, you know what I'm talking about? Nobody does, all right. And like, so you had to do all this, you had to listen to the right music, right? I had to, I was raised on like Leonard Skinner and Allman Brothers, you know what I'm talking about? Southern rock. But to be cool, you had to listen to like Nirvana and grunge rock and Pearl Jam, you know, like the, the rock and roll that makes you want to slit your wrists. Or, or you had to listen to like heavy metal, right? You had to pretend like you really enjoyed listening to Slayer, right? No one does, right? Except for Slayer fans, but whatever, right? And then as we got into junior high, right, as, as I was hitting like 13 years, years old, the, the way you got into the cool club, you also had to like drink and smoke, right? And um, yeah, that's, even when I was a kid, I thought that was pretty stupid, to be honest, like uh, I remember my older sister, she would go out and party and come home covered in her own vomit. And I was like, that's not, 
that's not cool. And then like cigarettes were expensive and like I said, we were broke. So I just never did any of that, right? So I, I couldn't pay the price, right? I couldn't do what was required to get into the cool kids club. And I know y'all are all super sad about it. Like, wouldn't you be pumped if there was some picture of me out in the universe where I'm wearing like that? That is like only a slight exaggeration, like only a very slight. That's like cranked up maybe 10% from what my friends look like in junior high. Isn't that sad, right? But, you know, as, as life goes on, the rules change for what's cool, you know? But there's always, like, there's always a price to pay. There's always, like, something you have to do to be cool. You know what I'm saying? Right? You got to wear the right clothes, be hip, or whatever, right? And I was never able to keep up with it. I never have. And I'm sure that's no surprise to all of you here, Right? Another thing that we kind of all go through, right, is uh, if, if you'll remember the beginning of last semester, right, we introed this question. We, we put this question out to you, right? We asked you, who is God and what is he like? Right? We asked you, who is God and what is he like? And we challenged you to think about that for yourself while we, as Chi Alpha, presented to you who we thought the answer was. Right Now, there's a lot of answers to this question. There's probably as many answers as there are people that exist on the earth. right? But, but last semester, we, we shared with you who we thought the answer was. And the answer to both of those questions, who is, he, who is God and what is he like, for us is Jesus. Right? Who is God? Jesus. What is he like? Jesus. It's the classic Sunday school answer. Right? All the church kids are super comfortable. They're like, yeah, I know this. Right? You get a gold star or you get to play with the Jesus felt board. Anybody else have that when they're in? Yeah. I got to play with it once when I went to church with a friend. Anyway, um, so we believe that Jesus is the answer to both of those questions. And we spent last semester, I don't know if you picked up on this, but we spent last semester describing different aspects of his character. Right? We talked about what he's like. His childlikeness. Remember that? We talked about his faithfulness, his, his friendship, you know, how loving he is. We talked about all of these things. Because what we were hoping to show you is that God is the only thing worthy, right? Jesus is the only one worthy to be the center of your life, right? Y'all remember all this stuff, right? This is just recap, right? This is last time on Chi Alpha. That's what we're doing right now, you know? So we walked through what it was like, and hopefully your small group leaders, your friends that are in Chi Alpha, or, or just Chi Alpha as a whole have displayed in our lives what he is like as well. And through this, some of you may have made decisions in the last semester or last year to, to follow Jesus of Nazareth, which is pretty dope, I think. Right? Congratulations to you if you're in that. Like, some of you are just like, now nah, this guy's cool, I'm in, no matter what. I don't care. Let's do this, right? And then there's some of you that are still searching and seeking, and, and that's fine too, right? Let me be clear. If you haven't made up your mind about Jesus, you're always welcome here, right? You're hearing it from the mic, from the guy in charge, okay? You're always welcome here, right? We're not afraid of questions, right? And then maybe there's some of you that, you know, when I was in your shoes, I was kind of cynical, right? And so it's like, oh, this Jesus thing's a little too good to be true. When's the other shoe dropping, 
You know what I mean? Anybody in here got that disposition? You raise your hand. Let's be proud of it, right? Yeah? No one? Okay, great. <laughs> right? Some of you may be thinking, like, when... These church people seem pretty cool, but when do they get weird? You know? What are the entrance requirements that they're going to demand of me? Right? So this begs the second half of one of those big questions that every human wrestles with. Right? We wrestle with, who is God? But then we also wrestle with, what does he require? Who is God? What does he require? You see, any choice you make has a requirement. Right? I want, I want you to understand what this word requirement means. Right? Because it can sound super harsh, especially in the context of religion, right? Because some of you may have like funny ideas of what requirements within religion means, right? But every choice you make has a requirement. So when you choose for God, there's requirements. When you choose not God, there's requirements. Like sometimes the requirements are demands that are placed upon you, right? Like with the cool kids when I was a kid, right? The requirement to choose to be a part of their group was to fit in, do what they do, wear what they wear, listen to what they listen to. Right? Does that make sense? Nowadays, I think you have to have like a one wheel or something to be cool. I don't know how this works. Right? And then sometimes the requirement is a rejection of something else. When you make a choice for one thing, you naturally reject other things. Does that make sense? So, like, as an example, when I was in high school, my favorite sport to play was soccer. I loved playing soccer, right? But the problem is I'm terrible at it, right? I know you're all surprised that the skinny white guy wasn't good at sports, right? But I was not good at soccer. But there was a sport I was good at, wrestling, right? There are pictures of me wearing a unitard. It will haunt your dreams. Oh, look at that sad albino Ethiopian. Oh, wait. That's Scroggins. Right? But the seasons overlapped. You couldn't play one. You couldn't play both. You had to play one or the other. Right? So I chose to do wrestling. And the requirement of that was to say no to soccer. Does that make sense? I didn't have to run as much. It was much better. So requirements are natural, right? Any choice you make will have some kind of requirement attached to it. So that goes back to our question, what does God require? Thankfully, Jesus makes it super clear what his requirements are, right? So if you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 9, we're going to go to verse 23. It says this, Then he, being Jesus, said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Heavenly Father, We need you tonight, God. Will you speak to us, Lord? Will you open our hearts and minds to understanding the truth that you want to display to us?
Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place. We welcome you into our hearts and minds and give you the authority to change what needs to be changed. Lord, we love you. Amen. So that's a pretty tough scripture, right? That's like Jesus ain't playing around, right? He's like facts, no printers. I hear that's what the cool kids say now. I can try and be really hip if you want. Um, but I, I want you to understand the depth of what he's talking about here. Right? You see that phrase, take up their cross? Right? Take up their cross. If you are a church kid, right? Or, I mean, heck, if you grew up next door to a church in America or whatever, you've probably had this phrase, like, you've heard it a lot so much that it's pretty much neutered. You know what I mean? Like, there's just no power in it. Like, it, it just, you know, like, it just means nothing, right? Sometimes we'll hear somebody talk about some minor inconvenience, you know, just like, the shirt doesn't fit right. I guess it's my cross to bear. What? You know? In its time, I'm going to unpack this for you. In its time, the cross was an instrument of death. I don't know if you realize that, right? You know when we talk about pain that hurts a lot, we say it's excruciating? That's literally Latin from, for from the cross, right? Like the pain is so bad that you think you're dying, right? So the cross was an instrument of death, right? And, and we kind of like put it on walls and like, you know, hang it around our necks and stuff like that. You know, I wonder if Jesus came back and be like, guys, what the heck? How about on Easter we hide crosses so I'm not reminded of what I went through instead of hiding eggs, which I have nothing against, right? Maybe, right? So imagine, like, if we started wearing, like, electric chairs or, like, a needle for lethal injections, like, around our necks, right? That's what the cross is. The cross is a means of eliminating the criminal and undesirable elements within society. That's what the cross was for, to kill people. Super uplifting scroggins. Right? And not only, not only was it like just a means of dying, but it was like they fine-tuned that thing to make sure that you died in the worst way possible. When you're on the cross, right? When I remember first hearing about the crucifixion, and I was thinking, well, of course you bleed out. Like, you know, you got nails driven through you. But no, you don't. They aim for the parts that don't bleed a lot. Because they're good people. You know, the Romans, they're just wonderful. They definitely didn't light people on fire to, you know, light their garden parties at night. They didn't. Uh, sorry, spoilers. Uh, but the, the cross, like, you would die when you're hanging on a cross. All of your weight, right, would be on the, the nails that went through your wrists or hands and the nail that went through your feet. And because of the way you hung your diaphragm could not push out and create a vacuum so that your lungs could then expand. The only way in which you could take a breath is if you pulled up with your arms and pushed up on the nail that was through your feet in order to give your diaphragm the room it needed to expand. So with each breath that you took, more muscle, skin, sinew would be ripped and torn and then eventually, eventually, in what was typically days of hanging, you would die from asphyxiation. You would suffocate. 
But it gets better, right? There's more. They didn't just want you to die slowly and painfully. But they also wanted you to be humiliated. So they hung you naked. And as the crowd gathered, because I, don't, I guess they didn't have much entertainment back then, or just were all psychopaths, as the crowd gathered, they would mock you as you hung there naked. And now these people are, they're not up there like, if you read the Gospels, right, you'll see when you get to the part that Jesus dies, like spoilers, um, don't worry, he comes back, so it's not like sad. Um, but, but you'll see that they come and tell Pontius Pilate, they're like, yo, Jesus is dead. And he's like, what? He marvels. He's amazed that Jesus died so quick because it was common for people to hang anywhere from three to five days. And as you can imagine, when you're up there that long, there's natural body functions that have to happen. And as people are in the throes of the agony of hanging on the cross, their bowels would empty in front of everyone. All over themselves, their open wounds. Eventually, delirium would set in, and people would just sit back and laugh as you slowly lost your mind from the torture. Sometimes people would take bets on who would die first. People would cheer you on, hoping that you would die faster. And if you took too long, if you took too long, they would just walk up to you with a big hammer and break your knees. Pick up that cross. Pick up that cross. That's what Jesus is telling us. But now we see that phrase, take up your cross, and it's written in like cursive script on a plaque in grandma's bathroom. But this is what Jesus is talking about. Not just death, but humiliation. That's what he's saying is the requirement to get into his kingdom, to be a part of the Jesus club. Does that sound fun to anyone? Not if you're honest with yourself. So, is he really demanding that we die? Is he really requiring that we humiliate ourselves? Does he really want us to open ourselves up to the mockery of the world around us? Yes. Yeah, this is his requirement. And I know this is hard. But look, everything, every choice you make has a requirement. Every choice you make can be boiled down to a cost-benefit analysis. Every belief system demands and requires some form of conformity or sacrifice from you. A modern individualist secular outlook Right, would tell you to look out for number one. And at some point, that's going to demand that you forego a relationship. That you place yourself above someone else. And that you succeed at someone else's detriment. Right? There's a requirement. If you're going to believe in this system, if you're going to live by these rules, here's a requirement. Does that make sense? Some even have like false ideas of what like these requirements are. Of Jesus are. 
Some of them actually, some people out there call themselves Christians, but they don't actually believe that Jesus has called you to die to yourself. Right? For some followers of Jesus, maybe, and, and I want to bring this up to because I want to clarify. Because some of us have really funny ideas of what Christians are like. Right? And I mean, the church hasn't always clothed herself in glory. You know what I mean? Right? There's some people out there that, that they think that what it means to follow Jesus has nothing to do with dying to self and everything to do with like being a bold witness for Jesus or fighting for the principles and morals of Christendom, right? Like we're some warriors in a large overarching culture war. Right? And that's what Jesus requires. Or some people think that Jesus requires that you give him money or give that preacher on the TV money, more specifically, and then it'll come back to you a hundredfold. Just pray in that seed money. Like it's some kind of crazy like investment scheme where if I send Jesus a hundred bucks, I get a thousand bucks back. And if I do that enough times, I can buy that sweet car that I always wanted. Right? Or maybe, maybe... Following Jesus means praying the right prayers or acting in the right way so that my life can be happy. But no. If you want to be a part of the Jesus Club, take up your cross daily and die to yourself. This is one thing that I love about Jesus. He is ruthlessly simple. There's not a whole lot of complexity to this thing. To be a part of his kingdom, to be his follower, it requires you to die. He demands your abandonment of your life and your hopes and your dreams. That's not that much, right? That was sarcastic. Everybody breathe. Jeez. One of my favorite preachers, his name is A.W. Tozer. He said, you knew one thing about a man carrying his cross. He wasn't coming back. And that is what Jesus is looking for. Someone that is willing to follow him and not turn back. Do you understand? Because a man carrying a cross in those days... If you were carrying your cross, you were going where someone else was telling you to go. You were doing something that someone else was making you do. And ultimately, you were facing a direction that someone else made you face. And this theme comes up over and over and over in the Gospels, especially in this part of Luke. He starts talking about the cost of being his follower. And, and it's just this. Death to yourself. But before we start, you know, really needing Peter Pignon to come tonight to help us unpack this whole death to self thing, like, don't call the suicide prevention hotline just yet. Let me explain what I mean by death to self. In the Bible, if we're looking at this big, you know, thousand foot view of the Bible, we can see that the Bible talks about two kinds of life and two kinds of death. There's two kinds of life, and there's two kinds of death. 
There is the life that you and I live, right? Our limited life that we live on the spinning dirt ball, right? And every day we turn a page, and eventually there will be no more pages left in our books. And then the great nothing. Because when you ask the dead what happens, they don't say anything. That was a joke too. But each day we expend this limited life until one day we're out of time. But Jesus talks about another life as well. Jesus talks about a life that lasts forever. This is the life we find in God's kingdom. You see, this life is when we're connected to the source of life itself, Jesus. This life also overflows and flows out of us into the world around us. This is what Jesus talks about in John chapter 7, verse 37, 38. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So there's one life that is limited, that you can expend upon yourself, and then one day your book is finished. And then there's another life, a life with Jesus that is abundant and overwhelming and overflowing, and it changes the world around you. There's also two kinds of death. There's the death that lasts forever, that all the crazy street, street preachers talk about, you know, with their scary signs and stuff, you know, like, the end is near, Right? And maybe if you're not dressed the way they like, they'll call you hideous names. Right? There is that death. That's the death that we all fear and get scared of, right? We expire. That's it. No return. That's the big death. But there's another limited death that Jesus talks about. And that's a dying to our selfishness. You see, in the Garden of Eden, all the way back in the first, on the first page of the Bible, right? In the book of Genesis, it talks about a garden being planted in this land called Eden. And you have Adam and Eve who are placed in that garden. And God just asks of them one thing. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eat of the tree of life. Was there anything special about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Probably not. But what was special was that it revealed something about the hearts of Adam and Eve. You see, in the moment where they said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and eat of this tree that you told me not to. In that moment, they decided for themselves what was good and evil. Do you see that? So they said, God, I don't want to live under your authority. I don't want to live by your rules. I don't like your requirements. Because you asked me to trust you. I'd rather trust me. So Adam and Eve partook of that fruit and they became the ones that made the rules. And they lived how they deemed fit. 
If you've ever read a history book, you will understand that that didn't work out great for all of us. You see, the small life, the limited life, is the one that we live under our own authority, under our, our own rule. It disconnects us from Jesus, who is the source of life. And to die to ourselves is to die to our desire to rule, to abdicate the throne that we have usurped. And we come back into the kingdom of God under his authority and trust. And we die a small death instead of dying a big death. Does that make sense? Is everybody tracking with me? Is it too early in the semester for this stuff? So when Jesus calls us to embrace the cross, that symbol of horrific death, he is calling us to die the limited death and receive unlimited life. Do you see that? You can have one or the other, the limited or the unlimited, of life or death. But you do not get both. Because there are requirements. And every choice demands a sacrifice. And Jesus himself modeled this very thing. This is the crazy thing about Jesus. Is there not a, there's not a demand or a requirement that he puts upon you that he hasn't lived through himself. So as Jesus lives his life, he comes to the tipping point of his life where he knows he's about to be crucified. And here's the kicker, is that he's, he's human, he's a man, right? He's fully man. And he doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to go to the cross. And so he, he sets up this prayer meeting with his friends and they go to this garden. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prays. And he says, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Not what I want, but what you want. Lord, I'm not going to decide what's good and bad in this situation. I'll trust you to tell me. Jesus, that night, he surrendered and died to his thoughts of what was good and bad. And just like his whole life, he lived under the rule of God's kingdom. He died a small death. And then he returned with everlasting life. Is that not cool? That means that Jesus' cross, which was once a symbol of death, has now become a symbol of life. And that's what we should view it as. And that is what he's asking of you. When he talks about picking up your cross daily, he's talking about that, that you would daily Die the limited death of self. That you would say, God, I'm not going to decide what's best for me. I'm going to trust you to tell me what is right. To die that limited death of self and then you, yourself, become a symbol of unlimited life to the world around you. 
is what God requires. See, it's not enough. Your life right now is too small. But when you surrender your life to Jesus, when you walk with Jesus, your life becomes bigger. Your life becomes about more than just you. When you live under the authority of the rightful and worthy king of the universe, streams of living water flow from, from you into the world around you. Some of you in this room have met people. Maybe they're the person that brought you here. And you met them and you're just like, you're different. It's because they got life with a capital L. And they died a death with a little d. The worship team can come back up. So this semester, we're going to be talking about this big idea. What God's requirement of death to self means for our attitudes, our ideas, and our relationships. And hopefully by the end of it, we will all see more clearly why it is wise and good to be a part of God's kingdom. To quote one of my heroes, Jim Elliott, he says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So I want to challenge y'all. We'll just do a short little response with some singing. You don't have to come to the altars. We won't fool with all that tonight. But as you go tonight, hopefully hanging out with your friends, talk about this. As the worship band plays, ask yourself, do you got life with a big L? Or are you living that limited life when you're trying to decide what's good and best for you? And the crazy thing is, right, is that when we decide what's best in the world for us, right? Our, our scope is so limited. Our experience is so limited, you know, that we usually end up making bad decisions or expedient decisions. Like the biggest problem on the planet, right, is selfishness, right? Selfishness. The Bible's word for that is sin. This is what the Bible's talking about, is making the rule yourself. You living as if you're the king of the universe. And sometimes, sometimes those decisions just lead us into stupid places. And we're all victims of someone else's selfishness. 
but we're also all perpetrators. And this is why Jesus calls us to die to ourselves, to die to everything that we thought was right and allow him to define what is good and true in this world. And I'm telling you, it changes everything. It changes everything. I went from a 16-year-old kid that couldn't be cool, even though that's everything he ever wanted. And all I could think about was that day that I would finally die. I went from that kid, broken, nothing to live for. My life had a little L. It was exhausting and unfulfilling. And I just wanted to end it. And then I met Jesus. And I gave up what I thought was right and wrong. I gave up what I thought was good. And I allowed Jesus to explain to me what was good. And I surrendered and I said, you're my king. And I'm still here. And I'm like happy. I'm genuinely happy. It's crazy. Because I found life. I found real life. Anyway, I'll stop blabbering. Yeah. Sorry, I went on a tangent there. So as as the worship team sings and plays, take some time to reflect. Examine yourself. Lord, did I pick up my cross today? Have I ever picked up my cross and died to myself? 